All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored by MailChimp, the world's leading email marketing platform. 12 million people use MailChimp every day to connect to their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce businesses. Send better email, sell more stuff. And we have a great show today. I think you guys are all really going to enjoy this. There was one of the best basketball games, regular season games you've ever seen on Christmas Day between the Cavs and Warriors. So we decided to have a special guest on a special pod today, and we had Mo Dacchio. Mo is a former NBA video coordinator for the Clippers, the Spurs, and the Australian men's basketball team in the 2012 Olympics. He's worked with coaches like Dunleavy, Vinny Del Negro, Doc, Pop, Brett Brown, you name it. And his word is very credible, and he really knows the game. So between Prada and between Mo, we did a great breakdown of the game. I think you're all really going to enjoy it. And maybe you're going to learn something that you didn't just see while you were watching it. And that's what we go for here. So before you listen, please subscribe, rate, review, all those good things for the podcast. We love the feedback. As always, please send the comments, send us questions. We didn't have any questions today. This is sort of a out of nowhere pod. We just kind of decided to do a one on a whim here. But usually we get to questions and you can send those questions to Mike Prada at SBNation.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Mike Prada SBN at limited underscore upside and at EpiBen. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Again, please uh, keep sending those uh, reviews, ratings, all those good things. Please, please, please subscribe. We love doing this podcast and we love doing it for the listeners. So sit back and enjoy this episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. Welcome back, Limited Upside. Uh, and Mo, we were talking before the show about, I was saying how I was surprised that it felt like the Warriors and the Cavs in this Christmas game actually showed us a lot of stuff. And I think we had talked on a previous podcast, Ben and I, that they might both sort of pull a Popovich and try to play KG and save their most interesting wrinkles for the playoffs. But it felt like they displayed a lot in this game. And I was talking to you about it, and you had a really good reason why that happened. When I look at it, it's there's not so much to hide after you've played two playoff series. You know, the first time they played, it went six games. Last year was a unbelievable seven game series. So just in the playoffs alone, they have 13 games between them. There's only so much more you can do. There's not a lot more to add. There's not a lot more wrinkles that they can kind of put into it. And and with Golden State, they're really incorporating Kevin Durant into their system, so they're not going to add a whole lot of things on top of what they're doing now. So you know, these teams pretty much have a good handle on what what the other team is going to do and how they're going to defend things. Now, is there anything in particular that you didn't see, like a, a wrinkle that could still be added on? I mean, I know there was a <clears throat> there were a lot of different matchups. Sorry, guys, let me cough this out real quick. <clears throat> there been we a go. Long there were a lot of band, different. Uh, I've been in a car <laughs> day, everybody. I've been traveling, but there were a lot of matchups thrown at. Uh, let's use an example. Five different guys guarded Kyrie in the last six minutes of the game, right? So there are a lot of things that were definitely cards on the table situations. But is there anything, Mo in particular, or Mike, you can step into, you guys are both film wizards, um, that you didn't see that you do expect to see should they play in the finals? Well, I thought, you know, for Golden State's end of things, I thought they might take advantage a little more of Kevin Love on the floor, mm-hmm. which I didn't see as much of that on their end of the things, on their end of the offensive end, excuse me. With Cleveland... You know, Kyrie's going to have a lot of guys guarding him all through the games. They're, Golden State switches, so it's going to be a constant sure. switch. So possession could start with Steph Curry on him, and in that same possession he could have Clay on him, Iguodala, just depending on opportunities for switching, you know, Durant, all of these things. Everybody could end up on him at one point. So it's not a surprise that a lot of guys ended up guarding Kyrie at the end. I don't think – one thing I didn't see as much from either team was – Part of their their sets offensively, you know, when I watch Cleveland, they run a lot of that Iverson pick for bringing LeBron across, and I didn't see a lot of that with Golden State. I didn't see a lot of their high splits action with the ball in the post. So maybe that might be something we might see down the road. But for the most part, this is this is what we're gonna see. And and let's be honest, that was a phenomenal game. We yeah, can all live yeah. with seven of those, you know, going Absolutely. down to the wire come June. I think it also had one of those psychological things where the entire NBA world now is like, well, upsets are fun. And 
Houston's a fun team to watch, and maybe the Spurs have another run in them. And there's Boston, but we don't want that. I don't oh, want yeah. that. I, that's <laughs> how those don't. teams are. <laughs> right. I want Cleveland and Golden State to play seven. Now, I, I want to circle back to the love point because I was too very surprised. It, they were able, they didn't put Tristan Thompson in the game late. They kept Kevin Love in, and you know, Thompson was having a good game, and Thompson, you would think, such a huge, important player for their defense. And yet they put Love in, and just like they what happened in Game 7 of the finals, they were able to get away with it. Now, my theory is that that is related to the other big wrinkle that I think Cleve, that I think Golden State can throw at the Cavs that they didn't, and that is, what can they do to get Steph Curry going? Yeah, I mean, that's been the kind of the mystery, right? Like, Steph's had a quite a difficult time against the Cavs. And part of it is... I, I, I was thinking about it this morning, and I was like, I, I got a chance to rewatch the game and went through it, and Kyrie actually plays defense pretty well when he wants to. So when he has Curry on him, he's he's defending him pretty hard. He's denying him. He's he's getting him going. On top of that, the Cavs do a great job of being really physical with him. You know, when he's running across screens and things like that, he's constantly getting bumped. He's he's getting knocked off course, and, and sometimes there'll be a foul call, but for the most part, there's not. And that's that's a challenge for them, and that's going to be something they got to figure out to get Curry going. I think they got to get the ball in his hands more. I think it's more pick and roll. I personally would like to see a Kevin Durant, Steph Curry pick and roll, even if it's Steph setting the screen for KD, because that's just really difficult to cover as well. You know, you're going to switch, and then you have Kyrie on KD. Like that's right. what seven feet versus six four, six five. He's just going to shoot over him, and it's not he's not going to feel him at all. And that's going to be an advantage, I think, that the Warriors could really u- pick at and, and, and attack. And I think that's going to lead to open shots for, for Curry and kind of get him going. But they gotta, they got to get him something going early. Why haven't they done that yet, the Kyrie Durant-Curry stuff? Because I remember this being an issue when Miami's Big 3 came together. Everybody was wondering, well, where's the way LeBron pick and roll? Like, why don't we see that? And you see Cleveland now, they run Kyrie-LeBron two-man action. They invert the pick and roll sometimes, or they make it traditional. Uh, You see other teams do that. Why haven't we seen more of Durant and Curry in just standard two-man actions? Are the Warriors overthinking this a little bit? They might be to a degree, but, you know, for the most part, their offense is really based off running off of ball screen, not ball screens, just off screens, you know, getting their shooters off of screens and, and setting up They They run pick and rolls, but it's probably not as heavily influenced as we feel like it is. It's, it's, it's something they do. They, they definitely get, they use that opportunities to get Draymond green into playmaking positions and so on, but they don't really run it that much to score. Like they, they'll run their weave action to, to a high pick and roll. And that's probably the most opportunities i see out of the pick and roll for for their guards to really create something so i just think they're 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 maybe a little bit afraid to deviate from what they do and at a certain point i think you just have to realize like hey we just got to get these guys going yeah it feels like there's a an analogy to be made here with the way that cleveland plays steph uh, and kind of the way that pass interference is called in the NFL, you need to make the refs make the call consistently. Uh, and if they don't, then you need to change the way you play. And, and one of the things I think Cleveland does to Steph more than any other team, and you mentioned it, is if he's playing off the ball, then you can take shots at him. You can make contact all over the court. You can, you can hold him. You can hip check him, all the variations of contact. And if the refs aren't going to call it, then you need to figure out a way to have the ball in his hands so that it presses the refs to make a call on ball. And I know that's one of the things that jumped out at me right away, which is the amount of contact Steph is taking when he's running around without the ball uh, was, was glaring in this game. It's something that the Cavs did a lot um, in the playoffs last year. And, and pray to you, I think we had been texting about this when we were talking about the game, and you mentioned that Steph was sort of, I, I would say this is something that the 1990s NBA players were harking about when Steph was dominating last year, was the physicality would have mm-hmm. crushed him in the 90s. Man, this is kind of a glimpse in that. Is that something you saw too? A little bit. I, I did you see that play where Richard Jefferson hip checked him in the third quarter on that baseline yeah. screen? Yeah, you both saw that. What was striking to me is not only the physicality because they were physical, but the degree to which they were kind of face guarding him. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you watch DeAndre Liggins's, his only purpose in that game was as soon as the ball went in, he just went and found Curry. And if you watch all the sequences. They're not turning their heads. They're literally just staring at Curry. They're not watching. They're not seeing ball and man. They're just seeing man. And I think that's a huge key to what Cleveland does. You saw Shumpert do that as well when he was in the game. Uh, I did, what was interesting about it, and I, I don't know if, Mo, you saw something different, is I didn't see a lot of switching 
from the Cavs, what they really did is they said, okay, if like you, if he gets free, like yeah, we're gonna run to him and we're gonna jailbreak to make sure he doesn't get open. But for the most part, like we're just gonna kind of QB spy Curry. And what yeah. I think that does is that the Warriors' offense, with all that layered movement, relies so much on. If you switch everything, you're bound to mess up a switch, and that's where the Warriors really pick you apart. But if you're literally just having this one guy whose only job is, I don't care if you don't see the ball, I don't care if you give up a wide-open layup, I don't care if you you just never help, your only job is to stay with Curry and just stare at him, that removes, I think, one big threat of the Warriors' offense. Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of similar to... Gosh, uh, my high school days of of playing box and one defense when the other team has just that one guy that's going to kill you, right? That one, everybody you said, Liggins, Schrumpert, when they were on Curry, they had no help responsibilities. They were basically, the Cavs were saying like, we're going to play four on four. You just stay with this guy. Don't worry about anything else. And that's what led to Curry only getting 11 shots, you know, having the, the lowest usage rate of the starting five, which means that Zaza Pachulia had a higher usage rate than Steph Curry. <laughs> and if that happens in one game, that's a crime. Yep. But for, that, for that to happen in this game of all the games, it's like that's like a death penalty kind of thing. So, you know, that those are the kinds of things. It's like the Cavs did a great job making it really difficult, you know, for Golden State to get Curry going. And I think a lot of it is because they like to get Curry coming off of ball screens and I'm um, excuse me, coming off of uh, pin downs and things like that. And it made it a real challenge for them once they started face guarding them and those guys didn't have to worry about helping just get through the screen, chase them through the screens. It helps when guys like Richard Jefferson hip checks him into press row. It, <laughs> it, it, it all makes a difference. So I think that's why, you know, what we're talking about, about getting Curry going is they got to put the ball in his hands a little more. Also, just because Ben, you were saying it, it, it would get the refs to see that and make yes. that alcohol more often. Yeah. And it's also just weird when you're thinking about a two-time MVP uh, inarguably one of the best players in the world and one of the most special talents in so far as he's one of the greatest shooters that we've ever seen. And yet he looked like the kid on the court in a very physical man's game. And that, that's something that um, from just a, an optics test was really mind blowing. If you watch the entire first half, I think what Curry's first field goal was with what, three minutes left in the second quarter. Um, you know, something psycho- like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Right. Psychologically, when you, when you're a big dog, uh, and then all of a sudden you've been minimized into a puppy's role in the first half of the most viewed game of, of the NBA season. I mean, it's going to end up being probably the highest viewed single season, a uh, regular season game of the year. I think some of that plays on Curry's psyche, but then the other part of it is they're, they're morphing into a team still. This is the Cavs' foundational team. Now, there's a little things tweaking like playing love down the stretch. Amon Shumper playing better this year. Richard Jefferson gave him like Richard Jefferson 2001 minutes. Well, J.R. Oh. Smith is injured, so it's not their team. Well, okay, so J.R. is out. That's true. But this right. is still the same. <laughs> Other than DeAndre Liggins, everybody else played in the NBA Finals last year, right? Yeah. I mean, that's true. That's a good point. Um, I also think there's a there's a cumulative effect, too, with Curry as well, right? I yes. mean, they do yes. it over and over and over. Yeah. No, that's true. But I do think like just introducing this element of this is Durant is the best player on Golden State. Uh, and he played like it. he played really well in the in the game. I think you guys would both agree. But do, I want to know what you both thought. Mo, you can go first. Uh, what did you think about that head to head? If you were going to call it head to head, but the matchup of of LeBron and Durant—that's something that's been publicized the last couple of days about their head to head record and LeBron's some seeming dominance within that. Um, what did you make of that matchup? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely an interesting matchup. Both played really well. I mean, KD went you know thirty six points and fifteen rebounds. That's you know a fairly decent night. <laughs> you know, Le- LeBron coming away with 31 and 13. So not as nice. <laughs> um, you know, but they, yeah, exactly. You know, he lost a matchup, but won the game, I guess. I, I don't know how you look at it, but there is a little bit of that. What is it like Durant's like four and 17 now against LeBron James teams? Four and 18. So I, four and 18. So, you know, there, there is that question a little bit of like, gosh, I just can't beat this guy, you know, a little bit questions of whether that's in his head or not. But I don't feel like either guy got the better of the other one. Both played heavy minutes. Both were really important pieces for their for their team at the end. Uh, we could be talking a whole different story if, you know, Kevin Durant's able to get a shot off at the end of the game. Sure. Whether that's a foul or not, forget it. It, it doesn't matter. He just didn't get a shot off. But it was 
a switch situation. So LeBron didn't even have the chance to guard him down the stretch, which I would have really liked to have seen that at the end of the game and seeing KD going up on LeBron for the last shot. That would have probably sealed it for me as to this whole matchup thing. But for the most part, they both kind of evened each other out. You know, it was the other guys that made a difference in that game. I found it interesting that LeBron didn't guard Durant down the stretch. Uh, they was he on Green or was he on um, uh, Andre Iguodala? Uh, did they put Love on Green? I can't remember exactly how that worked out, but it was striking that he wasn't on Durant. And they put Richard Jefferson on Durant. To me, it sort of speaks a little bit to a strategic point that connects to what we were talking about earlier. I feel like the Cavs looked at this, and and you tell me if I'm wrong, though. But this is the way I read it after rewatching, and they said like we're the the guy we really are going to focus on stopping because we can stop him is Steph. Durant is going to do what Durant does. There's not much we can do schematically to kind of solve that. You know, he's we're not going to go out of our way to slow him down because it's almost a fruitless endeavor. Like he's going to get his points. But if we take Steph out of the game, then we probably also take Draymond out of the game. And so then what ended up happening in that game was it was basically KD and Clay against everybody. And they almost did it, but I, I feel like that was deliberate. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you kind of look at it going, who is the easiest to stop? And look, Kevin Durant, again, he's, he's seven feet tall. He, besides LeBron and, and, and maybe RJ can, can bother him a little bit, how many guys can really affect his shot when he goes up to shoot? Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult, he's a difficult matchup for every team in the league, including the Cavs. Curry, you know, he's a great player, but he's not as difficult to defend as, as Durant is, you know, like we saw, and we, this is probably going to be like the theme of the, the podcast, but it's, they roughed him up, you know, mm-hmm. and they, they wore him down. He's, you know what? He's 180 pounds soaking wet. Like he's, he's tiny. You were talking about it, Ben, in the optics of, how how he looks like a child on the on the court, you know it. It all affects it. It all has an effect. I'm sure they looked at it saying like we can definitely zero in, and that probably was their game plan just by the way they were defending Curry. You know they basically said we're going to box in one. We're he's not going to get easy touches. He's not going to get easy looks. We're going to make his night miserable. If he's going to score thirty, he's going to earn all thirty. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of play here schematically, and we haven't mentioned either one of the coaches yet. So I feel like we should have a brief intermission for our sponsor. We'll get that read in here, and then we'll get right into what Kerr and Lou did. And maybe we could talk a little bit more about uh, what Kevin Love means playing center down the, mm-hmm. down the stretch. And then <laughs> if there's any way possible that if possibly Cleveland would want to try to stop Kevin Durant, how they would do that. So quick read from our sponsor here, and we'll be right back. This episode of Limited Upside is brought to you by MailChimp. 12 million people use MailChimp to connect with their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce businesses every day. MailChimp has been around since 2001. The company started as a side project funded by various web development jobs, but now they are the world's leading email marketing platform. They send more than a billion emails a day. They democratize technology for small businesses, creating innovative products that empower their customers to grow. When you connect to your store with one of MailChimp's hundreds of e-commerce integrations, you can create targeted campaigns, automate helpful product follow-ups, and send back-in-stock messaging. Learn what your customers are purchasing, and then send them better email. MailChimp will also analyze the purchase history of each customer to make smart, data-driven predictions about what they'll want to buy in the future. It's enterprise-level technology made simple for everyone. Just drag and drop. Sending personalized product recommendations to your customers increases sales in just a few clicks. MailChimp detects purchasing patterns in your e-commerce data and uses them to automatically predict your customers' buying behavior so you can target the right people with the right products. It's MailChimp. Send better email. Sell more stuff. Okay, and we're back. Let's see. I think we should probably get into the late game adjustments, potentially. And this is something, Prada, you and I had talked about this right after the game. But I'll ask you this first. And then, Mike, give me your commentary, too. But do the Warriors get too cute late in games? And what is that telling us about Steve Kerr? 
I mean, it's it's maddening for Kurt. It has to be because they they don't just get too cute late in games. They get too cute the entire game. Mm-hmm. I mean, behind the back passes that get thrown out of bounds when a simple bounce pass would have done it. You know, they they finished the game with 20 turnovers, gave up 21 points off of those turnovers. That's something you'd probably want to have back. And Kurt came out and said something along the lines of Steph's got to make better decisions. You know, it's not just passing, but it's when you're shooting, what shots you're getting. It's definite they get too cute. I mean, you saw it in Game 7 of the finals down the stretch. If I remember correctly, Curry threw like a behind-the-back pass to Clay Thompson that went out of bounds in like the last two minutes. Yeah, that, that famous gif. <laughs> it's Game 7 of the finals. Yeah. yeah. Let's why as a coach, as a, as a guy who worked in the NBA, like if I was in the video room, I'd be going just completely nuts. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You know, it, it's, it's definitely a case where they get too cute. You see it happen when they have JaVale McGee in the game and everybody wants to throw JaVale McGee the lob. Oh yeah. No, that, that's really bad. And they have this one play they run for JaVale too, that just feels like it's works sometimes and it's great. Uh, but here's my question though. I wonder don't you do you think that Kerr has to take some culpability because they don't I, I think about this a lot, right? Like so one of the things that people like in the basketball intelligentsia always are wondering is like at late game situations like, oh, why aren't they running a play? Like why aren't they kind of moving the ball and running a real play? And then I see that play, the last play that ended in a shot clock violation, and it was this intricate, well-designed, like kind of Steph started off the ball and he was gonna move to it, and there was gonna be all this stuff. And it just ended up going into the wrong person's hands at the wrong person's time, and it ended up in a shot clock violation. And I sometimes wonder, like, that's why you just kind of run simple stuff late in games, isn't it? I mean, it's because of plays like that. And so maybe part of the reason the Warriors get too cute sometimes is that they are trying to run such pretty off-ball motion when that doesn't guarantee that the right person gets the ball at the right time. I'm curious your perspective on this because you've been in the league. Uh, when you sort of see people what saying, oh, why don't they run this cute stuff, this really intricate stuff, Like, does that criticism ever hold water to you? I mean, is this sort of an example of where, why that criticism doesn't make a ton of sense? It's difficult because you never know how the defense reacts to things. So when you when you design plays or, or coaches going into games, they know how teams like to defend things. And and obviously they make their adjustments in game and, and, and react to it. And what play call they make is really based on what they're seeing the other team doing defensively, whether it's switching, whether it's how they're defending the pick and roll or whatnot. I think there are times where coaches might get too cutesy and 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 try to make the the perfect play. What I did, what really bothered me about that shot clock violation more than anything else was they had two timeouts. Like when it looked like when Iguodala is still dribbling the ball with ten seconds on the shot clock. Like to me, that was, I was screaming for a timeout. Like let's reset and get an important shot out of it. You know, like that's a big bucket. You're up one. You get a big bucket here. You could really kind of put the game away or put it out of reach. And you know they didn't do it. They result in a bad shot, uh, a bad play. Which you know to be, give Cleveland credit, they defended it well. Every time Iguodala looked to pass, that guy was denied. You know if it was whether it was to Curry, whether it was to Durant, and it just kind of created a real situation where they got flummoxed and and basically screwed up. And I also looked at Kerr saying like that's a mistake. You know I see, I see coaches like like Brad Stevens won't hesitate to call a timeout even if there's eight seconds on the shot clock to, to get the right play in. And I think that's something coaches have to do more of and do a better job of recognizing that. And when you have two timeouts, like you're no reason to be saving them. You never want to go into the uh, into the locker room after a game with all of your timeouts or two of them left, I should say. Um, I, I feel like there might be something to this, though, right? So the corollary for me is fun equals success with Golden right. State. They they had so much fun last year, two, two years ago, um, and last year too. Um, and it sort of felt like, the crescendo of of the wins record last year and after that it wasn't fun anymore then it was now we have to do this if we don't then we are failures and the and again i'm i'm just playing the as you guys do x's and o's i sit over here on my uh, my psychologist chair right this is kind of what i do <laughs> and uh but i do think there's something to be said for the way they play stylistically is supposed to feed into the mentality of the team it's supposed to be free flowing it's supposed to be you know up and down and there was that one sequence in the first quarter which was like vicious Kevin Durant or it was great LeBron play 
then vicious Kevin Durant dunk, then crazy Kevin Love outlet to another LeBron dunk or something. Mm-hmm. To that right, right. And I'm watching that and I'm thinking, well, that's four points for Cleveland and two for Golden State, but that's what Golden State wants, you know? And that's the weird thing about this matchup is that uh, the, the more that Golden State plays the way they want to, it almost feeds into the physical advantage that Cleveland has. And that's kind of where this, this all breaks down in terms of this one matchup. But otherwise... When Golden State's having fun and they're turning the ball over with behind-the-back passes and lobbing the ball to JaVale McGee, they get away with it. They don't get that slap on the wrist, which is a loss, by almost every other team in the NBA. And so I feel like there's a reinforcement of bad habits that are really, really difficult to break. But ultimately, they're not even bad habits. They're sort of the, the ethos of the team. And that's where this whole Kerr thing, and then to, to bring it back to Steve Kerr, um, that's where the whole Kerr thing for me gets a little confusing because you want to have the chemistry and the camaraderie and the trust that he's built, but you also need to add a little rigidity and a little bit more of that, hey, it's two minutes left in NBA Finals Game 7. You can't make that pass. Um, and that's definitely a fine line, especially when you've kind of climbed the mountain, had success, seen what it looks like, feels like, uh, and then to change it on people, to say it was successful, but now we need to do this to, to continue to be. Um, and I think to switch it over to Ty Lu. I think he's sort of finding that right mix. And Fred, I wanted to know if you saw anything particular, and let's bring it back to Kevin Love. Uh, and Mo, please chime in as well after Mike here. But what, what did it allow for Cap, the Cavs to do in the uh, final four or five minutes with Kevin Love on the court? Uh, in this game, which was uh, definitely something that Lou was planning for. Well, they they crashed the glass really well. That I think is a always a tricky thing to do because you may trigger the transition game of the Warriors. But and I, I'm actually a little mystified by this, and I'm curious what Mo thinks. Like they find a way to crash the glass without yielding this transition opportunities, and that just sludges the pace into slowness. And then it sort of then allows Cleveland to hack away off the ball and do all that stuff. Uh, and for whatever, because I, I don't know if it's because the Warriors tried to get too cute. I don't know if it's because they're still figuring out how to integrate KD and Steph. But in the past, I feel like you would have had love on the court and the Warriors would have pick and rolled him to death like they did Ennis Cantor in the Oklahoma City series. But for whether it's love's own improvement, whether it's something about the design of the Warriors, whether it's something that Lewis noticed that if you sort of cut off the head of the Steph snake, you also allow yourself to keep Kevin Love in the game when he's a superior offensive player. There's something about that that allows Love to stay in because Love can do a lot of really good things that hurt the Warriors. It's not just his rebounding. He spaces the floor. It's hard to guard and double-team Cleveland when Love's in the game. And he can, while he's not great at posting up a guy like a Durant, uh, that can sort of add wear and tear. And it's another thing that you can do. Tristan Thompson can't do those things. Right. You, know, you you can't, but if there's something, I'm curious what the Cavs are doing to sort of allow hide his defensive weaknesses. Uh, you know, whether it's something to do with how the paces of the game is, whether it has to do with who's guarding who. I was surprised by that, and you think that the Warriors can? I think you, we all agree the Warriors could do more to exploit that. But maybe Ty Lue has just found something that the Warriors can't exploit. I think some of it starts with. Kevin Love to begin with just having a great season, right? You touched on it a little bit of of the improvements he's had. You know, he's looking like the Kevin Love that we thought they were going to get two years ago. It's he's, he's moving a lot better. Part of it's got to be confidence after game seven and, and being able to stay with Curry on that last play. And that confidence is such a big thing for players in general, you know, him feeling like I could stay with this guy. I can, I can do this. I think part of it is is coaching. You know, defensively, they they're definitely hiding him. He's either on Iguodala or Green. You know, he's he's not. He's definitely. They could pick him out in pick and rolls, but if they're not going to, you know, it's it's he's very easy to hide in that situation because you could just put him on Iguodala and let him deal with it from there. Because you know, Iguodala is not even being as active offensively as he was last year. So I think there's definitely the ability to hide. Love and in that situation too, this is where the Cavs are lucky. Like, if 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 Love's not able to do anything or he's having a bad game, you're able to bring out Thompson and and he'll he'll fix your rebounding issues and and defend at the rim. But Love's doing everything you possibly can, and what he adds offensively, it it, it really is worth that trade off. Because like you said, Mike, like he's able to spread the floor, he's able to keep space, and then he's able to crash the glass. And you touched on, you know the the why are the Cavs able to crash the glass better? It's just 
they have just such a height advantage. It led to 18 rebounds. Yeah. Excuse me, 18 offensive boards and something close to what, like 18 uh, second chance points or something like that. And it's that's such an advantage for them, you know, that they're able to pound that glass. So they're willing to risk the fact that if they don't get this rebound, it's going to be a Warriors fast break. But if you watch that game, they got two to three shots to every one warrior shot. You're going to win a game when you have that kind of advantage. They finished with 95 shots and the Warriors had 77. That's a big difference. So, but why, but why isn't it like the Warriors? I think the bet they would make was okay, crash away, but when we get the rebound, like you're toast. You've got too right. many guys under the rim, but yet it doesn't play out that way. Why is that? Because when they're getting the offensive rebound, you're already out of position. You know, there's, I, I, I had a coach once a long time ago, and I, I wish, you know, to the to the basketball nerds out there who could do the stats for me, <laughs> you know, if somebody could do a stat of three point percentage after an offensive rebound, because I had a coach that swore it was somewhere around like sixty percent. He's like, every time an offensive rebound's given up, there's going to be a three, and that thing's going in. And it was like, you know, and every time it would happen, he would just kind of look at me, and it got to the point where I was like, all right, well, maybe. Maybe he's onto something. I don't know. I need I need a analytics stat guy to to take care of that and 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 either prove <laughs> or disprove that theory. But I feel like they you can track that now. I feel like NBA.com may track that. I will look that up. Um, <laughs> but I'm thinking more the other way. Like so, what I'm saying is that if the Warriors got the rebound, then you're toast. But yet it doesn't play out that way. So what? Like I don't. I've been trying to figure this one out. Like what is it? Just the act of having to box out all these guys means you have to bring more people back and so then you can't get runners out i i've been trying to figure this out because this is something cleveland has done going back to the 2015 finals as well you know it's just the act of crashing the glass for them as opposed to where it is for other teams like is a is a pace slower and i'm trying to figure out why that works out that way well because you know it's it's they're they're sending three maybe even four guys to the glass i i really think they're just sending three Two guys are coming back, and their job's to slow it up. But those guys also know if they don't get the rebound, they got to book it. They got to get down on the defensive end. So when you're the other two guys, you just got to try to slow them up just long enough so that your guys can get back in time to really kind of just get in the play. That said, you know, they still – Warriors still had 16 fast break points, you know, to the Cavs three. I mean, they got out and running, but it's a lot harder to get out and run, you know, when you're taking the ball out. And that's where the advantage – that's why it is worth – I know you keep – trying to figure out why it's not working out for the Warriors when they are in fast break, you know, when they get that, when they get that rebound and turning and going, it's because the Cavs are still pressuring them. They're still slowing them up. They're just doing everything they can to slow up that break just a half second. And that sometimes that's all you need when you have a guy like LeBron James, who, you know, I, God knows what his 40 is. It has to be something ridiculous. Even now at his age, I mean, you know, he's he's covering ground. You have guys that are sprinting back defensively and and they know and it, they probably do it harder in this game against the Warriors than they do in any other opponent. Oh, I'm sure of that. That's Absolutely. definitely sure. Yeah. And it, I think also just when you have three guys crashing and you can't box them out, then you need to be able to secure the rebound. You need to send fourth and fifth guys to secure it. And those right. guys would ordinarily be the ones streaking down and occupying attention. I think that's another. It's hard to do though because if you don't crash the right way, then you could get stuck on a long rebound, and that, you know, where you you're just underneath the basket. You're not doing it on the right shots. I mean, that's hard to do. Yeah, I mean, long shots, long rebounds. You know, you yeah. a lot a lot of times that that ends up happening. That's where you have guys like you'll have point guards being able to get six, seven rebounds in a game because the other team bricked a ton of threes that ended up just having long rebounds and it was able to ignite the break. But I think you're, you're definitely right when it's kind of like a, a, a football analogy. I know we have one passive pass interference <laughs> reference earlier, but it's like, it's like blitzing the quarterback, right? I'm going to send as many people as I can to, to get that offensive glass, to get that, to hit the offensive glass and get that rebound. How many guys are you going to use to try to stop me? So, right. The Houston Rockets D League team used to do it. I think they would, they you know, they experiment all the time, and they sent all five guys on the offensive glass. So yeah, look, when they didn't get the rebound, yeah, it was a, a layup on the other end. But they didn't care because they were probably getting the rebound way higher than anybody else and getting another possession out of it. Yeah, that's interesting. Of course, the Houston Rockets D League team would be trying that. That's all they do is just experiment. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's it's always interesting. 
That's why the D League should be called the P League. It's the Petri Dish League. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll get that's I another. I never once thought to call it the Petri Dish League. <laughs> but it is. It is. It's where, it's where you just put stuff and see how it grows. And, Wouldn't uh, it be then the PD League? Yeah, sure. That's even better. Mike, that's why we have you for our pun <laughs> connoisseur. Um, acronym puns or whatever you would call that. Um, maybe maybe but, uh, like the P with the D as a superscript or something. Yeah. <laughs> P equals D League. Uh, um, but on the rebounding note, just looking at the box score, Draymond Green can't have four rebounds. That's just that's just not going to work. He can't have four rebounds, four assists, and six turnovers. That's not going to work either. And then the most glaring stat, and, and Mo, you touched on this, the shot attempts disparity. Um, Steph Curry attempted 11 shots in the game. Um, for some comparison, uh, Kyrie Irving attempted 27. So if you're going to look at just the base level of aggressiveness, um, opportunity, this was a very interesting game, but I want to ask you both what the ramifications, if any, of this game are. Um, and Prade, I'll let you go first. Mo, I'll let you have last word. Because I'll tee it off with, I think this is the best thing that could have happened to Golden State. <laughs> it, it shows them, it level sets a little bit. It brings them back down to earth of being aware of the Western Conference is what it is, and there's going to be competition. But ultimately, the goal is over there you know, in, in Northeast Ohio, Northwest Ohio, Northwest Ohio? Yeah. Northeast Ohio, isn't it? Northeast Ohio. Northeast Ohio. Sorry, Cleveland. Um, You know, exactly. And and the idea being that uh, it it was a nice, humbling experience. They lost barely. Uh, They had one guy on their team have the type of game that you would expect in Kevin Durant and everyone else basically played slightly below their ability. Clay Thompson played pretty well. Yeah, I thought Clay had a good game. Yeah, it's funny. We talk about this as such a such a disaster and they lost by one point. They had a 14 point lead on the road uh, and they took an incredible Kyrie Irving shot to beat them. I mean, that we have to talk about that. I mean, that was perfect defense. Also, by the way, Cavs not really running a play, just saying, Kyrie, go get us a bucket. And he did. That was the last, like, they do it in the game. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm the Warriors, like, if I'm the Warriors, I think you're right. There, this is, there's a lot of good here. I think it does show that you do need to sort of get Steph going a little bit in a way that maybe you didn't last year. You know, it feels like he's deferred a lot this year. And maybe this is sort of the wake up call to say that they need him to stop deferring. They're certainly under construction. If I'm Cleveland, one thing I'm worried about is that I have no answer for Durant right now. And I know that maybe you could say that's, that's the plan, but I don't really see a good answer on that, on their roster right now. I mean, especially with JR injured, like, and the other thing I worry about, too, is if you're going to play this QB spy strategy on Curry, you either have to use Kyrie to do it. And, and like Kyrie has shown he can do it in the finals, but I'm still, I think it would still be ideal if it wasn't him. But if it's not him, then he's on Clay. And I thought that he lost Clay a bunch of times and that hurt right. them in the first half. So those are the two concerns I'd have for Cleveland. And for Golden State, I think it's everything we've talked about. Like at some point, you just got to give Curry the ball and let him run pick and roll and good things will happen. They'll get make it harder to keep Kevin Love in the game. And, you know, that may require more chemistry to Durant. That'll take time to build. But, I mean, that to me seems like the easy fix for them. But for the Cavs, I still think that there are a lot of concerns about uh, who's going to guard uh, Durant. And if they can execute this QB spy strategy on Curry, does that let Clay go off too much? Yeah, you know, I look at it this way with – if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, despite winning, you actually have more issues than you do the, the Golden State Warriors. I think the Warriors' problems in this game are all things that are correctable. You know, find a way to cut down on your turnovers. You got to crash the glass better. You got to rebound defensively as a whole. You know, you Ben, you touched on it. Draymond only having four rebounds. Nobody else besides KD having 15. Nobody else had higher than five. Like, that's a huge issue as, as a team altogether. I think if you're the Cavs, you're looking at it going, look, we got 18 more shots. We had 18 offensive rebounds. We forced them into 20 turnovers, and we, and we forced them into 30% three-point shooting, and we only beat them by one. Like, that's a yeah. problem. Like, you, going into the game without knowing all those, knowing those numbers and out knowing the results, you would have just assumed, like, oh, we, we crushed them. You know, and, and you only beat them by one. And it's like you guys said, it took a crazy, beautiful, miracle shot from Kyrie to make that happen. You know, it, it, it wasn't a, a, a game where you can say, like, if you're the Cavs, you can't just say, we beat them, we're fine. We, we don't have to worry about it. You got issues. You, you got to figure out how you're going to guard Durant because 
that QB spy strategy works great one time, two times. In a playoff series, they're going to scheme around it and they're going to find ways to get Curry going that you know, taking advantage of that because that's what good coaches do. And I think Kerr and Lou both are really great coaches in the NBA and they'll both sides will, will counter and make moves and make changes. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think the the Warriors' issues are all stuff that they could fix. I don't I don't you can't take you can't look at this game and freak out and panic and go like, oh gosh, we're screwed. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, it's it's you lost by one on a game where you didn't play that well. Let's just be honest. Durant had a great night. Clay had a great night, but the rest of your horses really didn't get going. It's it's one of those things where you can say, look, you, these are the things we have to fix. This is why we lost. But these are all fixable problems. Whereas the Cavs, it's, it's like you said, Mike. How are you going to defend, you know, Durant down the stretch? You know, because I don't think they have anybody that really can. I mean, they'll put LeBron on him. That's fine. It'll free up other guys. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if Tristan Thompson gets the assignment at some point. Um, so you are you were a video coordinator in this league for eight years. Um, what do you think – I mean, with the Warriors, do you think it's just the, a compilation of terminals? Like, what do you think is the first thing that Kerr – if you're the video coordinator, what do you think is the first thing Kerr and Lou would want you to cut up to show to show the players? So I think if if – I'm on the Golden State Warrior staff. I would want to go through our offensive rebounds and just show how they they really beasted us on the offensive glass and how we we gave up all those rebounds. And I would show a lot of those bad turnovers. You nobody's going to go through a game and have zero turnovers as a, as a team. You know, Chris Paul will have 20 assists and zero turnovers, but that's a different story. But as a team, nobody's going to have zero turnovers. So, you know, what are the dumb ones? What are the ones that we can fix? What is the, the, the bad lob that we forced into McGee? Or we really, really felt like we had to get this ball to Steph, but we tried to do it in between our legs instead of a simple bounce pass. You know, I, I would try to show those, those clips if I was the Warriors. As the Cavs, you know, one thing I would show is, you know, I, I counted out this morning when I rewatched the game, you know, in the first quarter, the Warriors missed four completely wide open threes. So I would go through their threes and, and, and try to show the times where we didn't get out there and contest hard enough. I would show when we gave up transition baskets, you know, and, and, and what were we doing, what, what led to those transition buckets, and how can we correct that. Those are probably the two things for both teams I would, I would probably focus on. <sighs> That's great. That's why we have you on this podcast, Mo, by the way, because Mike <laughs> yeah. and I speculate, but you've actually done this. Yeah. Uh, and for yeah. that, that's very helpful. And I will say – uh, Prada, we would be remiss if we didn't shout out to uh, our friend of the pod and, and uh, frequent guest, Mike Pino, who on our last podcast did say, for uh, a fourth quarter, uh, any shot you need to get, the guy you want is Kyrie Irving. And that yeah. was pretty prescient given the uh, the amount. Of, it wasn't just the last shot. He had like six of the best. I mean, there was a the three-pointer he hit over Durant was an incredible like sideways step back. I don't know how you would <laughs> yeah. describe it, but he doesn't have to have his plant foot remotely ready to just pull up and he can shoot from kind of like a hitched side movement, but still have the correct over the top follow through. It's a uh, Kyrie special. And uh, this, this matchup in particular, I think has been a great spotlight for his career. So people can see just how special he is. Uh, I mean, he, competition too. If I could jump in, Ben, yeah, he, oh yeah for, for sure. I mean, he had 10 assists and seven steals. Yeah. Yes, I mean, he had that, he had that one beautiful assist that led to LeBron James trying to bring down the rim. Yep. <laughs> Not yep. A on, uh, on, on, on that play. Not great defense from Steph Curry on that play. Kind of <laughs> let him go well, right by so him. Much. You know, it, it was more – was it Curry that LeBron ran right by, though? It was whoever was guarding Curry was, LeBron. Curry was on Kyrie, and he just seeded the baseline really easily. Yeah. And then, you know, but whoever was guarding LeBron also just gave him a clear path right to the rim. Yep. But, you know, he made a great pass there. He – you know, 10 assists and seven steals. He didn't shoot the ball well until about the fourth quarter. You're right. Yeah. You know, he was 11 and, of 27 for the game. Yeah. And, it, you know, and being able to do those other things and stuff that we're, we're seeing from Kyrie. And it's kind of interesting now. It's Kyrie's their closer. Yep. At the end of games, this is who they're going to go to because he's most likely able to take care of his, take advantage of the matchup he has. And with his one on one skills, probably able to create something more so than LeBron. So it's, it's kind of like LeBron James is your Cy Young pitching, you know, winner, uh, award winner. And, you know, 
Kyrie's your closer. He's your Mariano Rivera. He's the guy that's going to come in and, and, and ice the game. Yep. We are all about other sports analogies. Oh, yeah. Yes, we yeah, I, I'm really happy I got the Cy Young thing right. I, I'm not a huge <laughs> baseball guy, but it took me a second to get it out. So no, now we're going to make you quiz who the Cy Young was. So you, you said a name for Mariano Rivera. Now you got to say the Cy Young. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just just one last point I want to make on that is that It's just sort of – it's so funny, the contrast between like who is – the Warriors' closer is their – offense like the the Cavs closer is a human is a person and is particularly valuable because he can take anyone off the dribble which is useful when Golden State is switching everything so you just wonder again like and and only in this matchup like simplicity might be better for the Warriors you know works for Cleveland (laughs) just give the ball to the guys who who can make plays at the end of games give the ball to Durant let him go yeah at the end of the game I think you're going to start seeing the Warriors go to Durant a lot more like that yeah. should be their closer. It should be right. You, you, he's sort of the uh, seven foot equivalent of Kyrie, who can basically get his shot in any scenario. Other than that last play, which I guess, I guess we should we should bring up because the NBA uh, did one of the things which I hate the most in all yeah. professional sports, which is the you know the Monday morning quarterbacking of the actual associations. The NFL does this all the time. The NBA has now started to do it as, as of the last uh, two seasons. Coming back after the fact and saying, "Yeah, that was a foul. That should have been a technical on the bond for hanging uh, on the for hanging." And uh, Richard Jefferson tripped Kevin Durant. How do you guys feel? Just as a last topic here, this last thing, we'll we'll get you out of here, Mo. Should the NBA be doing this? Should sports leagues in general be commenting on missed calls by their refs after the fact? Is this something that is actually helpful? I think it was a noble goal. Like they wanted more <laughs> transparency. It was something they're trying to do for the right reasons. But when there's no punishment it's just literally oh yeah by the way they they messed up this call when there's nothing that can be done about it and when they only do the last two minutes of a game I think it sort of breaks down in practice you know Durant was saying today that this is ridiculous that they make them do this and he was the victim uh, of this missed call in this case so if even he's saying it I think it doesn't quite work in practice as well as they thought in theory like I understand why they tried to do it, um, but it sort of is a little bit of like, uh, well, what can you really do about it? The only person that's embarrassed now is um, is the referee. It'd be it'd be like saying like, yeah, your article is wrong, but you're not allowed to fix it, and then just sort of dangling it in the in the wind on Twitter for the writer and the editor to feel embarrassed about it. Yeah, it's it's like you said. I mean, it's great in theory. It's just terrible in practice, and you're really just throwing your refs under the bus. I, it, it's a frustrating thing. It's it's everything you said, Mike. It's after games, like there's it means nothing. It really doesn't have any sort of influence. I would just rather not bother being told whether it was a foul or not, or or he should have got a tech or not, or all of these things. It's just you know it, it's more frustrating than anything else because then you're just like okay, and what that means nothing to him. So it's it's really kind of a useless thing. It's. It's it, it's more frustrating and maddening, I think, than anything else. You can have too much information sometimes, but maybe the NBA will finally admit their years-long conspiracy against Paul George. Uh, <laughs> now that this is all transparent, uh, as Paul George alleged alleged there to be, uh, or implied there being. Like Indiana bias or something to that effect. What did yeah. you say? Did you see this, Ben? I guess you were traveling. Yeah. You must have missed this. Just reading lightly about it. Yeah, I saw the headline, if you will. They're the league's little brother. <laughs> right. I, I, I mean, pretty much every team has that attitude at one point or another. I mean, the the Clippers feel like the ugly redheaded stepchild at times. Oh, that's right. right. You work for the Clippers. I forgot. You had a lot of experience <laughs> with this. Yeah. No, I've seen it pretty first, pretty much firsthand. <laughs> you know, um, Demarcus Cousins has got to feel that way. Like all of these guys, it's it's sure. if a call. They all every team feels that way at the end of, of each game, win or lose. Both teams feel like they got screwed by the refs. Always. That's the one uh, universal of, of the competition is there's always a scapegoat and they wear black and white stripes. Yep. Um, it's, it's nice and easy. I, I highly recommend everyone listening to this to go check out the Jamal Crawford 2014 six man of the year speech. Uh, there's a shout out to Mo in it. So, you know, he's good at what he does. Oh, wow. And look at really, you doing your research. We really I did Damn. do research. And, and, <laughs> all right, so, I had four and a half hours to, to kick around and, and learn about our, our interviewee here. And uh, this was, Wait, what, this was what really good. I didn't even see this. What was what's this? What is what was the line? Mo, go ahead, man. Give yourself a little bit of a platform here. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, it, it stems from a story of Jamal and I 
one of my favorite players, one of the best human beings on this planet, to be honest. Yep. Him and I would play one-on-one after practice, which basically meant Jamal would score <laughs> and I would foul him. And that was that. And that's, I, I have no chance competing with Jamal Crawford, although I would talk tons of trash. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So one morning, you know, we had just gotten, we're getting ready for the playoffs and we played in Portland. We flew in, you know, I, I went straight to the facility and started working on playoff stuff, you know, spent the night at the facility. Jamal Crawford sees me the next morning and he just looks at me and goes like, you look like you died. <laughs> and I'm like, thanks, Jamal. That feels great. You know, and he's like, no, what's wrong? He's like, you okay? I'm like, I was up all night working on stuff. He's like, oh, okay. And then unbeknownst to me, when he gets his six man of the year award, he gives me a shout out talking about that exact moment. And it, it, it was nice. It was really nice of him to give me a shout out. It's not uncommon for video guys. It's not like, oh, I'm so amazing or anything. Tons of video guys are working their butts off. It's yeah. a hard job. It's 20 hours a day kind of thing. These guys all work their butts off as well as their assistants, as well as the interns. So it was it was really nice to have Jamal kind of recognize that for me. It definitely definitely made me feel good. That's very cool. I was uh, I, I used to work with a teammate of his, Leland Anderson, who was a teammate of his at Michigan, and he did say that Jamal was the best guy in the NBA. Straight up, the only the only person he ever really spoke about on a personal level was Jamal Crawford, and it was really just to talk about how good of a person he was. So that's a great personal anecdote. That's tremendous. And that will never go away because it's on YouTube. So that's, that's forever. Right. <laughs> that's right. It's always there. Video people, video guys are the unsung heroes of the league for sure. I think, I hope you, all the listeners got some window into how that is, um, you know, how they work. I, our Paul Flannery always likes to say that, you know, for all the talk of does the media vote on players, the player, should the players vote on awards, all this stuff, like the people who should really be voting for these awards are the video video coordinators because they watch the most of all these yep. players. <laughs> they know more than anyone. Yeah, that's right. They're not me who's like checking out the uh, the uh, body language and uh, psychological um, posture of of Steph Curry. They're actually looking at what he's doing. Well, they're uh, also <laughs> they're also checking it out with some authority. Where <laughs> yeah. like, they can check it out with some close up angles. Where you? Hey, man, I have a podcast, dude. I I, I got tons of authority. <laughs> <laughs> Mailchimp sponsors us. We're real. Um, right. no, Thank but, you, Mailchimp. <laughs> yes, thanks, Mailchimp, again for that. But this is great, uh, Mo Docchio. We really appreciate it. You you run uh, the your own website, right? The Jumpball.net. Correct. Yeah, I'm on the Jumpball.net, and you can catch me on Twitter at the Jumpballnet. And I also got a podcast going myself, so you can find it all there. It's all under the jump ball. Perfect. Awesome. This is great. We really appreciate you coming on, man. And, and hopefully we can tap into you uh, moving forward as the season progresses and maybe we get this rematch come June. This was great. Uh, Prada, as always, thank you for uh, contributing your knowledge as well. I know you know your film. You're not a professional in the not sense like of expertise. <laughs> no. You do have a Prada's motion pictures. Everyone go watch the Porzingis one. It's up right now. That's uh, awesome, by the way. I love the, I love the Prada pictures. Thank you. Appreciate that. We're going to tie it all together, everybody. Um, Prada, as always, thank you. Mo, thanks for coming on. And until Thanks next for time, having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Oh, you actually said it. You said before the podcast, yeah. like you weren't <laughs> you were going to let that be conditional, but it looks like you actually said it. Okay. Until next time, everybody, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. Integrate and connect your store with MailChimp in order to personalize and automate your marketing. Visit MailChimp.com to learn more.